Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. That's right. Open your Bibles, would you, to Philippians chapter 3. If you came without a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. Philippians chapter 3 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Our Best Days Are Ahead of Us. Our Best Days Are Ahead of Us. And as I was preparing this series of messages, my, my heart is overwhelmed with a sense of love and appreciation. You know, I think it's important, even though I feel this a lot, I may or may not express it to you, but you know, church, church family, I love you and appreciate you in my life. I love this church, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. First of all, as a fellow believer, because who I am, I'm a brother walking this path with you. I was saved and redeemed just like you. Yes, there's some differences between us, perhaps in our responsibility and our place or role in the church, but this is our church. This is where my kids grew up. This is where they were discipled. They, these are the youth group they were a part of. This, this is where they had children's ministry. This is where they too moved with me from California, my family, to be a part of this fellowship family. And if you would have told us back then what we're involved in right now, I wouldn't have believed it, but it was in the heart of God. And so I love and appreciate you, this church, and all the messiness and all the difficulties. As we look through, sometimes we get behind the difficulties and we just feel oppressed and beat down. But in any church that's moving in the realm of salvation and lives being changed, you have to understand it's just gonna get messy and things are gonna happen and everything's not gonna be so clear cut and there's not gonna be clear cut lines of how things happen and what. And so I love and appreciate this church. I love and appreciate you and I count it a privilege to be used of God in your life. And I count it a privilege for God to use you in my life. I love the church, but I especially love this church and what God has done in my lives. In my life, my kids' lives, my family, my wife, even my extended family, to see what God has done through our lives despite the difficulties. Because when we gather together, the gathering is a gathering of love. It's a gathering where we come together and there's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope that just flows through the people of God. God has done great things in the past. When we can look back and so, be so appreciative of the past. I mean, now here we are as a church family entering into our 20th year. Not all of you have been with us for 20 years, but for whatever time you have been a part of this fellowship family, you're important and significant. And here we are now, 19 years behind us, we're entering into our 20th year of ministry. And so we can look back and have much to be appreciated. We, we appreciate a lot of what happened in the past. And we look back to all sorts of highlights. But listen, we don't live in the past. We can't become stuck in the past. I mean, I, I think of it this way. <clears throat> not only do we have a history as a fellowship family here in Colorado, but we also have a rich history and the fellowship family of churches that we're a part of. You know, we were birthed through the Calvary Chapel movement. We are a Calvary Chapel. That, that's where I was saved. That's where I was discipled. And when, when I launched out from California to find a place, to be led by the Lord, to find a place where there wasn't a church like this, this is where he led us. And we, in our DNA, 
go back to the Jesus movement back in the late 60s. While Calvary Chapel wasn't the only ministry involved in the Jesus movement, it's the stream of church that we're a part of. But I know even as I mention that, as I mention men like Chuck Smith, or I mention men like Jeff Johnson, or Greg Laurie, Skip Heitzig, some of you may be familiar with them because they're on our radio station, but most of you aren't familiar with them. This is what you know, and that's a good thing. We can't, see, we love the past, and I do, I love the heritage. Forever until I meet Jesus Christ, I will love my pastor, Jeff. I will love him, my love only grows for him as I serve and begin to appreciate the difficulties that brother endured so that he could get up every week, week after week, and teach us the Bible and share the gospel with us and love us in Jesus' name. I love Pastor Jeff. I text him and reach out to him just about every week. I listen to his Bible studies every week. He's my pastor, and I love him. I love his wife, Karen, his family, and all that God is doing. That, that is our heritage. And yet, we can't become stuck in the past because God's doing a new thing. Not a new thing that eliminates the past, but God is doing a new thing. He's always moving forward. We were even talking about this on the way into church uh, this morning with my daughter. We're just talking about things because she's been here from the beginning. And, and I was just thinking back when we were in the school meeting, I said, I told her, I told her something like, you know, if we were planning the church again in the school, I'd do a few things differently. I'd make the room look a little prettier and I'd set things up and we'd cover things up. But back then, I didn't know what I was doing, and I just figured if we come together, we don't care what, if there's egg on the walls or murals on the walls, but, you know, we would do things differently. But then she said, but, but Dad, you know, the things that you're talking about now, they weren't really happening back there in 1999. So, so what I'm doing is I'm thinking back to the past with what I've learned now. And yet, back then, that wasn't, that, that's what, not what you did. We served in the era and the time that we served. But we're not in 1999 anymore, did you know that? It is not just flash, it is not 1999 anymore. Or the year 2000, remember the year 2000? Remember how we, remember how we entered into the year 2000? Y2K. Oh, I'll never forget it, because I was still working in the corporate world back then, and much of our business was built on computers, and so, while my family was ushering in Y2K at midnight with some friends from out of town, where was I? At work, because the world was gonna end. And we were on this multi-conference call, all of our offices all around the country, just waiting for the world to end. Nobody thought in HR that if the really, really happened, then the phones won't work either, but we were on them, <laughs> waiting for everything, watching the clock tick, five, Four, three, two, one, and nothing happened. <laughs> and so I was the first one saying, look, bro, nothing happened. I'm going home. And I was the first one to leave the conference call. Y2K, but it's not Y2K anymore. We got other things to be concerned about. And now you kind of go through. Now, you know, we've gone through the 10s. We're now into the teens. I'm pretty sure the teens will be over. And in our walk with Jesus Christ, we have to be sensitive into the time that we're serving Jesus. We have to have our eyes wide open to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true word of God to the people that are in front of us. And so as we look to God's word today, 
we need to remember that our best days are ahead of us. We often refer to the good old days. And there are some good old days, but we have to be so careful because the good old days are right now. God is developing in your life right now some new good old days. Right now. He's doing a fresh work. Not only are they now, but until he comes, the good old days are still ahead of us. And I hope you believe this. The good old days are ahead of us. The best is still yet to come. You know, that's a phrase that I've adopted in my life. I didn't always adopt it. Didn't always say. As a matter of fact, it was after great tragedy in my life as I was grasping for some things. I don't remember how I saw it. If I saw it on a plaque, I saw it on a, on a t-shirt. I don't remember how I saw it. But I remember when it came alive to me and it said, you know, just the phrase, the best is yet to come. The best, it's kind of like, you know, now you see it everywhere. It was not very, it wasn't very, about six years ago, I didn't see it very much. But now you see it everywhere. It's everywhere. It's on shoes, on cups, on everything. And we'll have it on a shirt here pretty soon as a church. It's everywhere. But back then, it's kind of like buying a car. Have you ever done this where you've really wanted a car and you don't really see it on the road at all and you're like, I really want that car. You go down and get that car and once you buy it, everybody has that car. Have you guys ever experienced that? You never saw it before, but now that you bought it, like, oh, I don't want it anymore. I want the one I never saw. Well, that phrase is like that and, and it's true. The best is yet to come. Now, that really not, is not just speaking to the here and now that phrase really is speaking to heaven because the best is yet to come. One day you're going to see Jesus face to face and that takes care of business right there. Everything that you've ever longed for and ever desired is going to be fulfilled in the presence of the Lord. But I do believe it has an application for us individually and as for a church. That as many good old days as we might have experienced, the good old days are still ahead of us. And you know, this is a... This is a relationship that we enjoy with Jesus Christ that the Bible often refers to as a race. I love that picture. Races are run forward, not backwards. Every race I've ever seen, it's forward. You don't run it backwards. You don't do very well running a race always looking over your shoulder. It's forward. It's moving on, pressing forward. You know, I've been running this race now in my life for 20 years eight years, just about 20 years. And one more month, it'll be 28 years running this race. And I'm finding in my life, the finish line is closer to me than ever before. Now, of course, some of you are a little bit younger than me and saying, yeah, yeah, that's because you're getting older, bro. That's the way it is. That's what happens when you get old. And it's true, I'm getting older. But let me tell you this. Now, some of you, are you thinking about how old I am? I'm not telling you. Because if I've been racing, running this race for 28 years, I got saved about, you know, five or six. I got saved when I was 23 years old. You do the math. Don't do the math. Listen to the Bible study. I'm getting this urgency in my life that the finish line is up ahead. It's closer than ever before, but not just because of my age, but because God can require our soul at any moment. Life is fragile. And you know, while I know that age is getting me and age is getting you closer to the end of the race, it's not because of age. The Bible teaches us that none of us know when our race will end. None of us know the expiration date on our bodies. God could, you know, we could, the today could be the last day of our lives. You know why? Because the rapture could take place today. And we could be caught up in the air forever to be with the Lord. However, okay, those three people were all going up together. 
Last time I made this joke, a guy left the church. But I'm going to make it anyway. There was a brother in the church, and I said something like, you know what, bro, if the rapture, and he, he and I were friends. He got mad at me, but it's all right. <clears throat> I said, you and I, you know, um, if the rapture takes place, the keys to the church are in my desk. Have at it. <laughs> God bless you guys. I'll see you later. That's all I got. It's a joke. Here's the thing. If not the rapture, none of us know the end of our lives. None of us do. None of us know when our lives will end. You know, you look to the, those of you that are younger, you look to those of us that are older and say, of course, you're older than us. But let me tell you something, everybody ages. And there just comes to be a point, some year, I don't know what the number is, that seems like age accelerates. And things happen so quickly. And you look back and you're like, wow, where has the time gone? Jesus put it this way. You can jot it down. In Luke chapter 12, he gives us this illustration of a rich man who was very successful in business. He was very successful in accumulating stuff. And he talks about this guy having all this stuff and then building barns to keep putting it in. And his, the voice that Jesus gives to this guy in his parable says this. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose, whose will those things be which you have provided? And so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The Bible describes our relationship with God as a race. And we need to run our race every day as though it were our last day because it could be. Jesus is to be all-consuming. That's right. We run our race for Jesus Christ. We run it for him. He's the one that died for us. He's the one that forgave our sins. He's our high priest that sympathizes with us. He's the one interceding for us. We run it for him. Because I'll tell you what, if you're running your race right now for people, if that's the motive, you're doing it for someone else, you will be sadly disappointed. Because if you haven't learned yet, people will let you down and disappoint you and even hurt you or take advantage of you. Even people that you look up to, people that you love deeply. If you do it for the applause of men, <laughs> you do anything for the applause of men, you will be sorely disappointed because even professional athletes will tell you that the applause of men is very fickle. It usually only comes when they like you and appreciate you. When they don't like you and appreciate the same hands that were clapping for you, you might find around your neck or attached to a knife in your back. The reality is, is that when we run our race, we run it for the Lord. It's the high calling of God in our lives, which brings us to our text here in Philippians chapter 3, as it relates to us personally and also to us as a church family. We're inspired and encouraged by Paul's heart here. A man that has been used greatly by God, he writes in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I, mark these words, press on. And mark this, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Right? We're always the responder. 
This isn't a great weight of duty and legalism and work hard for Jesus. Listen, Jesus has laid hold of you. He dwells in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. The natural response is to go for it. God, you love me, I love you. And it's a natural response of abiding and enjoying Jesus. So Paul gets to this point where I'm pressing on and I'm laying hold. Notice verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, and here's the big phrase, but one thing I do. So let me help you Bible students for a moment because this one thing I do is gonna be followed by two things. But the two things are not the one thing that he's doing, they're how he's doing it. Okay, so let me explain. So he says, this one thing I do, jump to verse 14, here's the one thing. I press toward the goal, that's the one thing. And then you say, well, how do I do it? Go back to verse 13, number one, forgetting those things that are behind, and number two, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. And as we enter into a new year, and we sense in a very real way a clean slate, we have to ask ourselves, are we stuck in the past? Are we stuck in the past of unforgiveness? Are we stuck in the past of ministry perhaps? Are we stuck in the past of regrets? I mean, if you look over your shoulder and you stare at the rearview mirror of life long enough, you will find things that disappoint you in your life. You will find things that you would do differently. You would find things that if you're not careful will immobilize you from moving forward. We all make mistakes. That's the problem with running a race. We all make mistakes. We all trip. We all falter. Sometimes I watch men and women just walk off the track and say, I don't want to race anymore. I don't want to race. I'm done. This is crazy. It's ridiculous. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And a lot of different motives behind that. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. You know, there's a lot of different things behind it. But God wants you and me to continue to run our race. That what he's begun in you, he's faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But there's something worse. There's something worse than walking off the track. And I know it's a real silly illustration, but stick with me. There are those that don't walk off the track, but instead they kind of slow down, fade over to the side, pull up a lounge chair, sit down, open a box of Twinkies, and I found out they are still making Twinkies, open up a box of Twinkies, have a two liter bottle of soda, and start drinking on the race of life. They're just sitting there doing nothing. And they're still on the track, they still have their shoes on, they still have all the gear that they need, but they're no longer in the race. And you say, well, whatever, Ed, at least I'm on the race, and at least I'm on the track, and whatever, it's my life, I can do whatever I want with it. Listen, it is not just for you, but you know there's a lot of people running the race with you, on the track, lapping you perhaps, and they're discouraged, and they're beat up, and they're looking for a way out. And so as they're lapping around, they'll go, wait a minute, man, and the first time they saw the Twinkie, they said, no way, I don't want the Twinkie, and they kept going. The second time they saw it and there was a little frosting down your mouth, they're like, I don't know, man. It may be. The third time they stop and wipe it off. The fourth time they go, is there another chair? And I go, oh, sure, there's plenty of chairs for people that just want to sit and do nothing. Pull out a chair. Hey, how many Twinkies you got in there? I got an unlimited supply. And your influence on people can be so negative. It's so silly, I'm sitting on a racetrack with a Twinkies. You know what that sounds like in the church? Criticism, complaining, 
not going after the loss. We get upset about things that actually really mean nothing in the scheme of God's church and God, what God's doing on the earth today, but we're all caught up in it. You know, it's easy. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, years and years and years. You've heard sermon after sermon after sermon You've listened to the radio, you, you've heard Bible studies, you've got all these spiritual nuggets, you've read a lot of Christian books. You, you're in a place where how, how you, you have so many years under your belt and that has made you cynical and critical, even to the point where you've become now a Christian connoisseur of sermons. Oh, you know, I don't like that illustration. Oh, you know, I didn't, you didn't handle the Greek right there. Oh, you didn't say it right. You didn't do it right. Oh, you know, they didn't have the words right up there. Oh, Ian missed the key. Whatever. And no longer is the Holy Spirit touching your heart, moving you, breaking you, bringing you to the place of surrender. You go, Lord, I love you and I love this world and I want to fulfill my call in your life. I want to press on. I want to push forward. I want to gain what God has for me. Instead, we become consumers. Don't think it couldn't happen to you. We live in a consumer society. I mean, we buy and we buy and we buy. It's not necessarily simple. I'm not speaking to that. But listen, Jesus said this. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. What are the two most important businesses in the world today? To feed that worry of what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat. It surrounds us. Jesus was profoundly wise, was he not? God in human flesh to warn us about the things that could do the most damage to us. But I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about the sinful part of that at all, just life. Jesus said to be careful you don't get weighed down by the cares and concerns of life, just life. Just the difficulties of life will cause you not to want to run the race. And then all of a sudden, instead of being excited for the things of God, excited for what Jesus is doing, excited about the power of the gospel, hopeful, encouraged, waiting on God, crying out to God, our prayers become, well, God, what have you done for me lately? Oh, we don't use those words. Because if we did, it would just like really strike us. What? What am I doing? Why am I, why am I so demanding on God? Why haven't you done this, God? Why aren't you doing this, God? And then that turns, and you take your eyes off of heaven and they come down and then you come into a church family like this and you go, well, you're not, what are you doing for me lately? What are you doing for me lately? What are you doing for me lately? And an attitude like that just is never satisfied and never hungry for the lost. And there's a lost and dying world that God has put us on the planet as a bridge. You know, Jesus, excuse me, Paul speaks here in Philippians of the call, the call the call. It's a beautiful thing. Think about it. Most of you have phones on you. If your phone was to ring right now and you received a call, well, let me set it up for you. Wait, let me set it up so I get the right answer. Someone that you actually want to talk to has dialed your number and your phone is ringing and you get a call. When you get a call, what do you do? You answer it. That's the picture in the Bible. The call comes, God is ringing your life, and your answer, your, your response is to answer the call. This is the call of God on my life. I can say with 100% certainty that I was born to do what I'm doing right now, that I have been called to pastor and shepherd this congregation today, right now. That, that, that good news is, is not everybody was called to be a pastor. Now, that's not everybody's call. 
Most people aren't actually called to do that at all. But did you know there's a call in your life that the pastor, the role of the pastor, is not the most important calling in the church? The most important calling in the church is where you fit in the body and the calling of God upon your life. That's the most important call, and you fulfill it. Some of you are called to be at-home moms. That's the call of God. Some of you are called to be in the customer service. Some of you are called, by the way, you guys that are in customer service, you understand this consumer mentality because part of your training, I'm sure they trained you with this phrase, the customer is always right. That's not true. That's not true. That's a cultural norm. You're a customer. You know as well as I do, you're not always right. Go ahead and agree. You can amen it. I know you don't like to amen yourself, but you should. Of course, I'm not always right. I make mistakes. I buy something in return. I go, what's wrong with it? Nothing. I just changed my mind. What do they, they call that um, buyer's remorse? That's not the company's fault. That's my fault. <clears throat> but the customer is always right. <clears throat> and the companies that give you that the most, you like to frequent that store the most. And it's just ingrained in us. But if you're called to the customer service realm, that's God's call upon your life. If you're called as a banker, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a car salesman, if you drive a UPS truck, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's not about your vocation. Because wherever God has you is his call upon your life to bring the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ into the people that you're connected with. That's why you're on the earth. And so when you're running this race, you're running the race to fulfill the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And every single believer has it. But we pull up the chair, break open the Twinkies, and sit there. They have a phrase for that in churches today. They call them pew warmers. I am so grateful today to declare to you that Calvary Aurora doesn't have one pew warmer. Not one. Never experienced a pew warmer in the life of our church. Because we don't have pews. <laughs> pews, if you don't know, are long benches that churches used to use. But I have to wonder how many of us become com comfortable and complacent in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to strongly suggest to you again a book that I've been reading. I'm on my third time through it. It's called Jesus Revolution by Pastor Greg Laurie. It's really helped me over the last few months to bridge the gap of the past and the future. Because you know, when we think of our fellowship family, Calvary Chapel, I wasn't there, you weren't there, many of you, some of you were, but most of us didn't experience this great revival that's known as the Jesus Movement. Calvary Chapel wasn't the only church involved either. There was a lot of streams of God's revival on our country back in the late 60s. It was a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit where literally thousands upon thousands of people were saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a miraculous, amazing work of God. But we weren't there. So I'm always eager to read from people and listen to people. And even, you know, my friend Tom Stipe up in, in Arvada, I get to talk to him. Tell me what it was like. I want to hear the stories. You were there, man. You were an eyewitness. I want to, I want to see it again, but I'd love to hear how the, the history of our church family. And so I, I started reading this book, and, and he does a great job of bridging the gap of valuing all that God has done with, in the past, 
but acknowledging that we're not in the past anymore. We're not ministering in the 60s right now. We're not ministering in the 1900s. We're not ministering in the 1800s. A lot of time, you know, people get nostalgic and they think, oh, I wish I would have grown up in the 1800s. It would have been such a bad... No, it wouldn't. Little House on the Prairie, bro, was hard. That was a hard life. People died at a very young age. Disease was rampant. You had to go out and cut your own tree, man. No, 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 no. When I turn on the fireplace, I just walk over and flip a switch. That's the way to go. Then I had kids and I send them to go flip the switch. It was even better. <laughs> Listen to what Greg Glory writes. Listen to what Greg Glory writes. I want you to soak it in. And, and again, this book would be great, greatly beneficial to you if you have the time to read it. Listen to what he says. I shared this on a Wednesday night, but I want to share a portion of it with us today. He says, the central question is this, and I quote, young or old, Are we going through the motions, comfortable and complacent, consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen, he doesn't even use the word Christianity. He uses the word churchianity. Just a church, that's the only essence. Let me repeat it to you. Young or old, are we going through the motions, comfortable and complacent, consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we really desperate to know God and to embrace the fresh, mysterious, powerful wind of his Holy Spirit? Revival, after all, is not about human plans, programs, campaigns, or particular denominational movements. It comes from the real revolution that only God can bring. Is that what we've become? Have we just become consumers of some cultural brand of churchianity? Or are we really pressing in for the electrifying power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that the gospel changes lives, including our own, as we speak the word of God to us? That we would believe God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Will we truly receive what God is doing in our lives or are we going to remain stuck and immovable and resistant to what the Lord wants to do through you? We speak in the context of our fellowship family and that's great, but the reality is is that you're the church. You are the church. We don't just gather, like like we're not the church just because we're in this building, although I have to say, I'm in this building throughout the week when this room is empty. And when it's empty, it's cold and dark and lifeless. There's nothing going on in here. It's quiet. Sometimes they might see here the architecture. There's nothing happening in this room. But I'm always excited. I saw it yesterday. I kind of watched it yesterday. During our school ministry, I came over. I peeked into the door because they were doing some things in there. I peeked in through the door and it was empty. And that was about, you know, three o'clock-ish or so. And, and by the time six o'clock came, the, this room came alive. Why? Because this empty room and building became the church because the church showed up. It's not just a location. Like, like God isn't calling us just to come to church. God is asking us or even commanding us to be the church. 
And I'm always careful when I hear people complaining about the church, complaining about this church, if the Lord leads me, I don't always answer this way, but if the Lord leads me, I look you in the eye and say, you're the church, you're complaining about yourself. This is your church. How can we partner together so that we can take care of things to reach the lost, to love the poor, to meet the needs of the widow and the orphan, to bring in a very real way the truth of the gospel in every place that God takes the church moment by moment. And I've been asking God recently to forgive us for becoming comfortable and complacent. For God to forgive us for being immobilized. I know there are different reasons for that. Certainly in my life, watching some coasting along or, or slowing down a little bit in my own life has happened over the last few years. Grief and sorrow and, you know, drama, you know, it saps the energy out of a person. And I know some of you have experienced that. God is not condemning you today. He's not pointing a finger of accusation towards you. He understands the heaviness of life. Jesus Christ came into a body just like you and me. Like he lived this life. He lived this life. He knows. But he also knows the very strength that he provides for you to press on, to move forward, to keep the main thing the main thing. Isn't that the key? <laughs> keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, what is the main thing? The main thing is pursuing God. The main thing is going after God and all that he has for you discovering in fresh new ways. I mean, in a real way, I just sense more than any time before, like we're planning a brand new church. Yeah, we have all sorts of people, but we're doing something new, and yet we're doing something new built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the godly men that have come before us. That it is possible to do something new without neglecting the past. We remember the past. We value the past. As a matter of fact, I teach often, don't you ever forget the past. Don't forget where you came from. We have the Ebenezer stones, don't we? Of God's faithfulness time and time and time again. So while we are not to forget the past, we're also not to live in the past. We're also not to be stuck, but rather, Lord, do a fresh work and forgive us for our complacency and the comfort and ease by which we've learned to coast through life and perhaps answer some of the difficulties in our life with decisions that have made it harder, not easier. You see, God is faithful. And he's calling us today as a church to keep the main thing the main thing. Pursuing God. Following Jesus Christ. Glorifying God. Edifying. Building up the saints. Evangelizing the world. The main thing is honoring Jesus Christ with your entire life. The Bible says to lay your life down as a living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable. It is not too much for God to ask us, to command us to lay our lives down. After all, you and I are the ones that said, I want to follow. You heard Jesus say, follow me. And what was your response? I will follow you. You are everything. You're my creator. All that I have, all my talents, all my, all my expertise, all my money, all my mind, everything about me, God, is yours. I will follow you. And to which Jesus said, you want to follow me? And to which we said, yes, I want to follow you. To which Jesus said, 
if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up the cross and then follow me. And the greatest, you know, Jesus put it just like Paul did when he told us as spiritual leaders, you know, on the list of character traits in 1 Timothy 3, he put right at the top, you want to be a leader in God's church, you want to be an elder, you need to be above reproach, to which we say, oh man, we've all failed. Jesus says, deny yourself, and we're like, oh man, that's a hard one to which I believe the Holy Spirit would minister to your spirit and say, yes, it's hard. But as you abide in me, I abide in you. And you can walk a life of self-denial moment by moment and experience the electrifying power of the gospel and the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your family's life, in your workplace, in your church family, and everywhere God has us as we run the race. Why? Because we don't know when our race will end. And as you consider this new year in this fresh, clean slate of a year, it could just be that as Paul is saying, I'm pressing on, I'm laying hold, I'm forgetting those things that are behind, and I'm reaching forward to what's up ahead. It may just be a necessity in your life to ask God to forgive you too. You know, I follow the lead of Daniel and Nehemiah and many of the guys in the Bible that have gone before us that when they prayed, they prayed for us. I include myself. I'm certainly not a perfect man. I don't have it all together. I'm not speaking to you as a man that's got it all figured out, but I am speaking to you a man that wants to discover the will of God for my life. I want to take it. And as I say, let's press forward, I invite you all to join me. I invite you all to join me because as the Bible goes forward, as the teaching of the word goes forward, some things you can expect is this church to grow. You're going to see this church grow. Now, we've seen tremendous growth over the years, but it's going to continue to grow. Why? Because when people get saved, they become a part of the church family. But I would also expect other churches to grow and other churches to benefit as the church goes out and ministers the gospel. I hope you're not one of those guys that say, well, Ed, you know, at this size of the church, I hope it doesn't grow one more person. Well, what if that one person is your mom? Okay, one more person is okay. You know, over the years, we've had people, oh, I don't think the church isn't what it used to be. It's growing so fast. To which you should say, praise God. People are getting saved. Of course the church isn't the same as it was. We're not 30 people meeting in a basement of a Baptist church anymore because God saw those 30 people and says, I'm gonna do something in Aurora with you guys. And you know, some of them are still with us to this day. And now some of them are spread out at other churches, spread out around the country, doing great things for the Lord. I wonder what he sees now with thousands of people gathered together. I wonder what he says. I'll tell you what he says. God says, I'm gonna do some crazy things to those people. I don't know if he uses the word crazy or not, but he's going, to do, he's going to do great things through us. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or ask. I know it's beyond some of your thought patterns right now, but that's God. Dream big things that you can't do on your own. Think big things for the gospel that you can't do on your own. Think how your life, you know, we can't do everything, right? But we can do something. And we need to resolve to do what God has called us to do. And then little by little, one by one, two by two, four by four, eight by, before you know it, there is 
open vessels for the work of revival in our lives because we need a revival. We need to be brought back. We need to be enlivened. The culture needs renewal. We as Christians need revival. And that's the work that God wants to do. So church, keep moving forward. The best days are ahead of us. If you believe that, turn to your neighbor and say, the best days are ahead of us. Go ahead, say it out loud. Best days are ahead of us. Praise God. Praise God. Now, all of you that thought that was kind of weird and didn't do it, we'll wait for you. (laughs) The best days are ahead. Better days are ahead for us. The best is yet to come. That even if it is waiting for waking up in the presence of Jesus Christ, that will be the best day of your life. The best day to see him fulfilled in everything you believed, everything you've held on to, how you've raised your kids, what you've done for the Lord. You will be there at the Bema seat and just say, praise God I served him. And I receive, I receive God that affirmation that my life was worth it. There's so much for us to learn. So many lives that need to be changed. That's why Jesus said we need to take up our cross daily and follow him. The Bible reminds us that his mercies are new every morning, that we're to be in the word. Remember Psalm 1 says that we're to continue in God's word day and night, that God did some great things in our life. God told Joshua, you meditate on the Bible day and night. Let's move forward, church. The things that were good then, praise God. We we love the past and I will be forever grateful I will be forever grateful for my pastor and this fellowship family we're a part of. But I'll tell you what, I'm living for the future. I want to grab hold of what God has for my life. I don't know when it's going to end, but I know in a very real way that it can end suddenly, tragically, painfully. And we need to be living for Jesus all the way out, all the way through the finish line. Put the Twinkies away. Get rid of the soda, kick the chair out, put your, tie your shoes and get back in the race, man. Get back in the race. You're not trying to beat anyone else. Just run your race, finish well. Hopefully we'll hear those words and I believe we will. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Our best days are truly ahead of us as a church and as individual believers. Man, I can't tell you, I don't know what God's gonna do but I want to find out and I want to be a part of it. I don't want to watch on the sidelines. I want to be found running my race with joy. Amen? Amen. So Father, we're thankful, grateful. We rejoice, we clap, we sing, we amen. We, we are very great. We celebrate you, God. We celebrate you with um, tremendous excitement. Never before have I been so resolved to fulfill my call in this city. And I thank you for your sustaining grace through the pain and the trials. I thank you that you would use me in my weakest conditions. That you don't throw us away when we're so messed up and you don't just toss us aside. But rather you restore and renew and refresh. You're our greatest encourager. Yeah, you bring conviction of sin, we need that. You bring correction, of course but for the purpose of getting us on track, (laughs) not to hurt us, not to destroy us, but to destroy our flesh, that we might live in the spirit. Pour out your spirit on Calvary, Lord. May we continue to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's pursuing you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, loving you, and enjoying your love. In Jesus' name.
Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.